0: Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. All right, well, I'm glad to see you today. I'm so excited about the series we're going to do today. It is about the cross. It's all about the cross. So I was um, fellowshipping with uh, Apostle Dick Benjamin, who's the founder of our church. So you might not uh, know him if if you haven't. He normally is in the back. He's now at the 10 a.m. service. Um, and he's in a wheelchair, but you'll see him there. But he founded our church in 1959, and God spoke to him to come here. And there was a great move of the Holy Spirit. We saw thousands of people getting saved. Uh, we sent over a thousand people out all over the world, planted over 100 churches, and trained over 4,000 people in our Bible school. I mean, there's a pretty big move of the Lord um, through his leadership. And uh, we were hanging out. And a lot of our staff, we go once a month to hang out with Pastor Dick and um, we're sitting there talking, and he goes, you know what, Josh? I think we need to preach about the cross, you know. And his, if you ever talk to him, he talks kind of, it's close. It's not quite that, but it's pretty close. Um, he's got this big, huge, baritone voice, you know. And, uh, and, and, you know, we talk about lots of things, but the Lord pricked my heart. The Holy Spirit said, listen, I want you to listen right now. And I knew it was the Lord, and, and I was like, well, tell me more about that. And he told me about this message that he had preached about five perspectives of the cross, and looking around the cross from five different views, from the Father's view, from the Son's view, from Satan's point of view, how Satan viewed the cross, how unbelievers view the cross, and how Christians view the cross. And I thought, that's really cool. And so I asked him some more questions, and then uh, we dug up all his old notes and his message from his audio, and we got to kind of dig in. So um, his son, Pastor Rick, who was the pastor before me, uh, we took up all his notes and, and sat in fellowship with Pastor Dick, and so what we're doing is we're reteaching a message that he taught to the church many, many years ago, and we felt that it was very appropriate to do so. And so we're doing it not only to honor him, but to sow a word back into our church that was part of our foundation. Kind of cool. So um, I, I want to just read for you a quote from uh, Apostle Dick Benjamin uh, that he, this is what he said about why he preached this message. And and he said this when he preached it uh, a long time ago. It says, it's my desire to get God's view on the cross. It's my desire to get the Bible's view of the cross. And I want to not only view the cross properly, but to live my whole life accordingly, Dick Benjamin. Amen. Come on, he's saying, I want to know the truth. I want to see the truth through God's eyes. And I want to live the truth. Know right, see right, live right. Amen. Amen. Here's two core passages that he laid the foundation for this series. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Whoa. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I just pause for a moment. I want you to think about this. This is the Apostle Paul writing this, this letter to the Corinthians. Corinthians are a bunch of Gentiles, pagans, and like, uh, none of them are Jews pretty much in this space, okay? So he's writing to them, and it's very interesting because Paul was no average person. The apostle Paul was actually not like all of the other disciples or apostles that Jesus chose. Jesus chose a bunch of unlearned men. People that could barely read and write and didn't know very much about the scripture. And he used them to reach the Jews who were all these scholars in super smarty Okay, Then he takes Paul, the most learned among virtually all the Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees he calls himself. He was one from. He was like a purebred, like a hybrid Jewish leader who was extremely intelligent, and he knew everything you could possibly know about the scripture, the law, all of that. And he says this. He goes and preaches to all the illiterate places in the world. God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, doesn't he? He probably did that on. Well, he did that on purpose. But Paul, one of the smartest men probably to ever walk the planet says, I resolve to know nothing. Just give it up. Everything I know doesn't really matter except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think it's important that we understand the cross. If the apostle Paul says this about the cross and he says, look, everything, look, we gotta look at it all through this lens. We need to pay attention, right? And so what we wanna do is take these views we wanna walk around the cross and let's look at it from different perspectives and see what we can see. 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed." Jesus justified, Jesus completed all of the work on the cross. And this is one of the cool things. We're gonna look at the cross through the Father's eyes today. All right, so the Father's perspective of the cross. How does the Father see the cross? Well, one thing he does is Jesus entrusted the Father. He trusted the Father. He entrusted his life to the Father. And so the Father is confident in himself. The father's confident in himself. When he looks at the cross, he didn't look at it with worry or concern. He looked through the cross with confidence in who? Himself. So much so that he allowed his own son to go to it. Just imagine if you were going to place your child in some vulnerable place. And it all depended on whether or not you could execute, whether or not you could come through on your end of whether they would live or die. Come on. The father trusted in his resurrection power. The father trusted in his plan. The father trusted in what he ultimately wanted to do through the cross, so much so that he allowed his own son to be crucified. See, there's two key things that you need to know about the cross, is the cross was really about God's love and God's justice, and love and justice have this interesting tension. It, it, and it could seem as if God Himself was duplicitous, as if God Himself was two sort of gods with two different minds, a double minded God. If you do not look at the justice of God through the lens of love, you'll be confused about who He really is. If you do not look, At the justice of God, through the lens of God's love, you're going to be confused about who he is. You're going to read through the Old Testament and you're going to be like, what in the heck is going on? God's judgment and wrath is a scary thing. Oh man, it's a fearful thing to be found and caught in the hands of the Almighty God. Hello. But if we look at this, As if God's love and his justice are competing with one another and to see who's gonna come out. And sometimes he's the hammer of justice and sometimes he's the loving God and you're like, I don't know which one I'm gonna get. We're gonna be very confused but we we have to see this right now. Look, John 3.16 says this. For God so loved, God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, God so loved that he sacrificed, God so loved, he gave everything, his most precious thing to him, his own son, his one and only son, that whosoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Just think about this. It's not love competing with justice. It's not love competing with justice. It's love at work through justice. The justice of justice, justice defines something. When there's punishment for a wrongdoing and there's wrath that gets poured out on wrongdoing, it defines what is right. And that defines God himself because God is perfect righteousness. In fact, Jesus is perfect righteousness. God himself is the shape of righteousness and he wanted to show off his shape and he does that by defining what sin is and what sin isn't. And in the righteousness of God is found favor. Outside the righteousness of God is found punishment and judgment. And this is fair and just, it's right. Romans 3.25 says this, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right. Because you're not right before you have Jesus. You're made right with God when they believe that Jesus is sacrificed Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, to show off his shape, right? For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. The justice of God also required that God make a way for the penalty due to our sins that would be paid. So every sin has a payment. And that's good. That's actually good. Right and wrong, justice, payment for sin. But God wanted to work through it so that he would be defined, his nature would be defined, we'd understand what perfect love is. And he did not set it on this world so that you and I could be subject to it. He, there is wrath for punishment of sin, but he wanted to show off his love for you and I. See, when he shows off his love for us by saying, look, this is the payment and the punishment for sin, but I'm gonna cover it all for you. You understand how much he is willing to pay for you. Cuz this is the first point is what is the father looking at when he looks at the cross? He's not looking at the cross. The father isn't looking at the cross. He's looking through the cross at his most precious desired thing that he created. It's you. He's looking for you. He's not looking for the cross. The cross was a tool, and this is the thing you and I have to get. Okay, Rick, why don't you come here, and you could be my uh, helper. It was like, oh, don't sit in the front row. Okay. okay, you don't have to sit down. So I want you to stand here. I know, I'm not giving you any instructions. So if I push on your hand, and I start to push, what are you going to do? He's going to push back, right? So I put, the harder I push, the more he pushes. And we get this pushing war going on, right? We're waging war. See, if we look at the justice of God or the way that God is working against us, like as if his justice is working against us, we're gonna see God like this. He pushes on us, we push back. Pushes on us, we push back. And it's like this war, God's love, his mercy, or his justice, war, justice, war, justice, oh, mercy, justice, whatever, you know, love, justice, love, justice, okay. But if we look at it that way, rather than the appropriate way of how God is looking through, and then Rick, you come on to this side. And so this is life, and we're working on life and sin, and so you're gonna push on that sin, right? And what I'm gonna do, and I'm the father, I send the son through the cross, and I'm moving this way with you. I'm gonna help you overcome the sin in your life, because we are pushing together and you're not resisting. See, so we look at sin as if we're like pushing against, oh, this is the way I want to live, it's what's best for me, instead of, God is actually, he's never been against us. He's always been with us, pushing with us to overcome it from the beginning. His plan was through the cross that we would be made right and perfect like this beautiful, rugged man. Except he's taken and he's there with his bride. Nobody, ladies, he's not available. (laughs) Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. (laughs) All right. See, when we see what God is doing, he's pushing with you, not against you. You understand he's for you. He's for you. God's love motivates justice. God's love is is motivating justice, working through justice to produce righteousness in you. By his grace, by his mercy, nothing you could have done, nothing that you could ever do that would cause you to be made right with God, only through the grace of God that you and I could ever be made right. But this is the thing, is that God's love, it was his plan from the beginning, It wasn't some made up secondary plan B. Jesus on the cross being the payment for your sin, that sacrifice to take on the wrath of God was his plan A. And he takes the wrath and the punishment so that you know what's left over? Favor. So you know what the father sees through the cross? He sees the favor he's putting on you. His view of the cross is this is his tool, his instrument to provide favor for his kids. How awesome is that? See, so many times we get this view that God is this big bad God who's just like looking at Jesus and when he sees Jesus, he loves him, but then you're on the other side just barely. Thank God Jesus is filtering out all your doo-doo. You know, all your bad, you know, way you behave. He's just like, man, thank God I have Jesus who's the good one and all these joker kids of mine out there screwing around making me put my son on the cross. You hear the shame in that? That's, if you only view through justice. But when you see it was motivated by love, you'll never see that. You'll never see that God is this big angry God. No, he is this God of love who's always trying to produce righteousness. He's always trying to reach out and find us so he can cast favor upon us. And it pleased him to put his son on the cross. He actually prearranged and planned it. We'll see that. But in, a, in a, the big why of why God did this, you've got to understand this why. Of why would he do all of this? Listen, he, in the beginning... He made man, and he puts them in this garden, this perfect utopia, and, he, and they're in the perfect presence of God, and they seemingly have just about everything. They have just about everything they need, just about, except man was in the perfect presence of God, but man was without loss. Man was without hurt. Man was without suffering. Man was without pain, regret, sorrow, loneliness, trauma, and defect. Man was without. Placed in the perfect presence, but still without. See, God gave us this amazing ability, and it, and it shows off what he truly loves. He gave us this ability to choose and he knows, he, he created us, so he knew exactly what we would do. And he knew exactly what we needed so that we could be in a perfect love relationship. The paramount or the peak, the, the critical peak of love is when you and I get to choose and we choose in a way where we are reckless and abandoned and we want nothing else. And the only way we could do that is if we learned to be without. If we learned to be without his presence, if we learned suffering. See, you don't understand what it feels like in your real life, what, what, what love and what peace and what, what, what patience and what freedom really is if you haven't suffered. See, you don't understand peace if you haven't been in war. See, in a time of war, you come back to peace, you're like, this is good. You imagine what it would be like, oh, oh at war, but if you haven't gone, you don't know. If you haven't suffered, you don't know what rest really is. Just saying. If you haven't been sick in your body and close to death, or your bones ache every day, you're like, I hate my body. Because every moment it screams at you, don't move. Quit moving. Don't get up. If you haven't felt that, which i pretty much having it my whole life. I don't understand. You don't really understand what it would really be like to be in perfect health and then appreciate that perfection in health. Some of you know that. You're like, I can't wait for that glorified body. See, when you get to heaven... Because you were without here, you're gonna be in heaven going, thank God, I chose Jesus. And if God, if the, God put that knowledge of tree and evil, uh, good and evil, that tree in front of you, when we go to heaven after you've experienced loss, suffering, pain, uh, dysfunction, or trauma, or defect, you see that tree, you're like, no, I'm touching that. <laughs> Heck no. But if you and I go back and we were Adam and Eve, I promise. You're like Dennis the Menace. You can't help yourself. You put that little red button in front of Dennis the Menace. Don't touch it, Dennis. Ooh. Don't touch it. Boom. You're going to poke the button. You're going to touch the button. Because you are Dennis the Menace on the inside. Your flesh has to know. God made us this way, it's part of the free will choice. It's what makes love so powerful. It's what makes when you love me or I love you or you love your spouse and you choose them over anybody else and you stay and you sacrifice and you give to that person, it's what makes it so special. That's what made it so special when God chose you, he gave you a choice and he allowed you to choose and he allowed sin, he used sin and he used Satan as a little pawn. He's the master chessman and he used Satan and he cut him loose in the garden on purpose. You're like, that seems messed up. No, (laughs) it makes sense. Sin has a purpose in your life. Sin had a purpose. God doesn't want you to sin, sin is bad, okay? But sin and Satan both serve God's purpose. Everything serves God. He's in charge. Listen, he, Bobby Fisher is nothing compared to him, okay? Bobby Fisher is this master chessman, right? Nobody could ever beat Bobby Fisher. Where is he? I don't know. I don't know. He's gone. <laughs> Bobby Fisher, a master chessman, has nothing compared, not even a drop in the bucket, to what a master Planner, God is. He is the master strategist. Every single detail was mapped out to perfection. Satan is a pawn in his chess game. And his end game, you know what it was? You knowing him, being the fullness of his love forever and ever, rescued by his love. That's his end game. He's not playing games with you, he rigged the game. He set it up so that he would always get you. He played Satan like a fool. He sent him loose in the garden, and he goes, oh, just wait. He says that woman's going to step on your head, boy. And he did it on the cross with Jesus. He stepped on the head of the serpent at the cross with Jesus. It was his plan from the beginning. He used Judas like a, like a game piece. He, he, Judas still chose, but a master chessman, if you play against a master chessman, you'd think you're choosing, but you kind of get boxed in where you have no choice. It's like, oh, stink, I have to move that there. There goes that piece. <laughs> I feel like I play against master chessmen, even with my children, okay. <laughs> but God... He sets it all up because he has a desire for you to know him and be in the perfection of his love and to remember what it's like to be without him, without the perfectness of his love. See, God understands that with real love, you have to let go of what you really desire. And with you, with me, he had to let us go. That's why this principle is in the Old Testament. says, cast your bread upon the waters. It will come back to you. This is why when he teaches us to give of our finances, of our life, of our whole, of our ministries, we give away of ourselves. in any of those contexts. It's always about us learning how to love, to give. He so loved that he gave his life. And when we're giving, when we're sowing into other people's lives, giving up of ourselves and sacrificing for them, that is when we start to understand real love and he's never gonna ask you to do something that he didn't do himself. He's not asking you to give more than he gave of your life. He's not asking you to serve more than he served with his life. He's not asking you to sacrifice more of the things that you care about than he did. He gave it all. He so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. See, the Father's view is that he looks past the cross at the world that he made, the people that he made, and looks at the favor that he wanted to pour out on them, the relationship that he could have with them. He looked through that, and it was necessary. It was a necessary tool. It was a necessary part of his strategy to recover what he loved. It wasn't the recovery plan. Okay? This wasn't his plan B. Like, God is just like, oh, geez, I didn't know what I was going to do there. Oh, shoot, I put the tree right there in the middle. Oh, d- what was I thinking? I can't believe I did that. Oh, no. Oh, and then the devil, why did I even cut that guy loose? I thought he was a good guy. He said he's going to sell me some hairbrushes, and then he just goes in there and tears everything up. What was I thinking? Oh, son, could you come out here? Hey, son, look, you see the mess I made? I just don't even know what I was doing, and I just decided I needed to get you in here to, like, fix this problem for me. Would you go die on the cross for this thing and just clean up this mess for me? I just, oh, my goodness. What a mess I made. <laughs> I mean, you think that's God? Come on. He is the master planner. The guy's a brilliant strategist. Every single... Every single star in the sky, the gravity of the world, every little you know, new neuron and every atom has a purpose. And he's got it in control like there's nothing. And it's all about you. It's all rigged so that you will encounter him and know him and love him. And he, when his son was the cross, it was all pre-planned, pre-arranged. He didn't do it by accident. Isaiah 53:10. Yet the Lord's Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the cross makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was the will of God to put Jesus on the cross. They predecided before they made man and put them in the garden, their plan was already laid out. The Father prearranged it, Acts 2, 23. But God knew what would happen. Let's look at that. God knew what would happen. He prearranged it. He had a prearranged plan. It was, uh, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Think about that. Jesus was betrayed. He boxed it in. Judas was part of his plan. When Jesus went around, he picked Judas. He knows the beginning and the end. The Holy Spirit, the Father, said, Pick that one. And he goes, Yep, that's the guy. (laughs) It's rigged, it's on purpose. He prearranged the plan for him to be be betrayed with the help of the lawless Gentiles. See, even all the Gentiles weren't on it. You nailed him to a cross and killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. It's all part of the plan. Prearranged plan for you to rescue his kids. See, he is that valiant warrior that, that valiant lover that loves his kids, that will protect them at all costs. And he knew for us to be in eternity, which is his end game, he needed all of these things to position them, but he's looking through the cross and he's viewing it to put favor on his kids. Galatians 3.13, but Christ has rescued us from this curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took it upon himself, the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. Everything God does is planned to perfection, even choosing the cross. He chose it. The Father chose this instrument, this tool specifically. Not so it'd be a symbol for you to like wave around and go like, this makes me more powerful. It's not a power tool, all right? What Jesus did on the cross is where the power is. The tool was simply an instrument that God chose on purpose. In Deuteronomy 21 22, if someone has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed or hung on a tree, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury the body the same day, for anyone who is being hung is cursed in the sight of God. This is uh, in this way, you will prevent. The defilement of the land of the Lord your God is giving to you as a special possession. Jesus also wasn't left overnight. Isn't that interesting? He was hung on a tree, and because he was hung on the tree, he was hung as a penalty for our sin, but he took the curse upon him. So the father prearranged that he would be hung on a tree, and he put it in the law, and then he set it up so that it would all happen just the way he wanted but he chose the cross, he wanted to be specific. He wanted it to, not, to show this, that, he, that his justice is true and real, okay? And, and that all the law he set up was to show that the punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death, and that no one but God himself could ever live up to it. And he wanted it on display so that everyone would know in the entire world he set it up in the most powerful one world government that ever existed he didn't just do this off to the side the father did it as a spectacle he made jesus a spectacle so that we would all know one no one but god himself could ever be like live up to the justice could ever provide perfect sacrifice and be perfect. No one but God could ever do it. No one could live and, and up to every single law and be justified as a perfect sacrifice. No one else could do it. And he also wanted everybody to know, I prearranged this. This was my plan. And I did it exactly the way I planned, by the way. So you could see, it was really God. God did it and God was on the cross. Both of those things are important. We see that the Father does this. Colossians 119. The Father, his desire through the cross was to make peace. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Verse 20. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He made peace. Look, his goal was to make peace. He took the wrath on himself and made peace with us so we could experience his favor. Colossians 2.14, he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. It was his plan. It was his plan A. Took it all away. You can be at peace. You can be at peace. You can be at peace with God. Maybe you've known God for a while, and you're like, you know what? I felt like God was this God that was resisting me and pushing against me, and he wasn't this God that was for me. And thank God, Jesus, oh, otherwise the Father would be after me. If it wasn't for Jesus, the Son, just rescuing me, the Father would be hammering me, Because he was against me and Jesus is for me. And you see and you view the cross as if it was only Christ who was saving you that day. It was not just Jesus. It's the Father. It was his plan from the beginning. And his view of the cross is you. It's peace with you. It's his wrath poured out on himself so that he can have his favor and his peace poured out on you. And so if you've seen God wrong in your eyes, then today's just a day that we shift, okay? Let's shift something. Let's shift the way we see God. And let's let's allow ourselves to see through his lens. And maybe today you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you've never committed your life to him. And you're like, you know what? I like this God. This is a God that's not making you do a bunch of rules and step up, measure up, do all kinds of stuff. He's a God that did it for you. But this is the truth, is that he is a just God. And the wages of sin is death. And the Bible says that all have sinned. We all have blown it. We've all missed a mark. And in every one of us has, has missed the perfect will of God. And we have to pay for that if We don't choose Jesus. If we don't choose the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, if we don't buy into the master plan the Father has through the cross to pour out his favor and peace on us, then we miss out. And you have to pay for that price, that penalty, that sin on your own. That is not going to be awesome. Okay? That's not going to be good. The Bible says that it's permanent, permanent separation from his presence and his love. The Bible calls that place hell. I'm not sure how bad it's gonna be, but I'm not gonna try it out, okay? I don't try out Motel 6, and I'm not trying that place out, okay? I recommend you try the Embassy Suites, okay? You try heaven, okay? Try it, trust me. It's gonna be way better. God's plan for you is good. It's perfect. His plan for you was peace, and the Bible says very simply, if you just choose Jesus, Believe in the son, you'll be saved. He made it so easy, but you have to believe he's God and believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. He is your Lord, your savior, your God. And you will partake, you'll take on that peace. I'm gonna pray over you before we start to worship and do communion. Father, I thank you so much for your great love. Will you pour out your love on your people right now? Come on, if you want to lift your hands, go for it. Pour out your love on your people, Father. I pray for just an outpouring of your love and the revelation that we would see the way you see, God. We would see the way you love us so deeply. Father, we want to fall in love with you. God, we need a fresh feeling of your love, God. We don't want to walk out of here empty, and we want to walk out full. God, we want to see you. Lord, let your goodness just wrap us up. Comfort us in your love, God. Remove any wrong thinking, God. We just pray that you would destroy the wrong thinking. The enemy has tried to get us to see that you're a punishing, evil, bad God. When you're the most loving, God, you're the most loving thing in this cre- in your creation, God. Your love motivates everything. Let us see the way you see. Live the way you live, God. We love you today. Let us fall in love with you, God, because you did so much. We see it, God. We see how you did so much for us, it was always about us being in your perfect presence forever and ever and ever. Thank you for that, Lord. Pour out your blessing, your favor on your kids. God, I pray that everything they put their hands to would prosper. God, that the good, the good plan, the best plan that you have for each one of us, God, would come our way in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.